0: Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Futter.
1: And I'm Amanda Farrow.
0: On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 165 and the kickoff to season five. Whoa. So uh, 2024, huh?
1: How about that beginning of the year, folks? Man, so
0: it is January 23rd uh, in the morning when we're recording this. Uh, We had finished the show notes, and uh, it's been a slow start to the year for us for a number of reasons. We're still dealing with the basement that flooded uh, right before the holidays, and our daughter went back to college. um, And had a medical emergency Had a medical emergency that we're still dealing with. It's ongoing. It's been, and I went to CES for the first time. Uh, which was which was interesting, and
1: let's just be real, folks. It's been drama. Yeah,
0: it's been it's been a lot, uh, and in fact, so last night, of course, and we'll talk about this later in the show. Um, Riot announced that they are uh, laying off eleven percent of their global workforce, approximately five hundred thirty people. Um, the only I silver lining not, here. I did
1: not sleep well last night. I
0: know the whole thing is just um, for those of you, and we'll talk about this more when we when we get to the labor report. Uh, Amanda and I have uh, done a number of projects for Riot, specifically Riot Forge. Um, the fact that Riot Forge is closing—they um, are that some of the team. nicest people. Uh, we, I love, I love like ninety-nine percent of our clients for F Squared and Riot just every interaction with them has been warm and kind and
1: they're extremely pleasant people super talented so kind i i am going to miss working with that team so so much and i mean our our sadness over over this yeah, on it's the not about outside it is about, about
0: more good people yeah, who have been hurt by the current and our sadness
1: doesn't compare to the fear and pain and anger and all of those really understandable emotions that come around, you know, layoffs, especially mass layoffs, because executives are making bad mm-hmm. bets. In addition to all of this, we are we have our trends piece that is finally going to be going live soon, which is that was a hard one. This year, usually, usually it flows like water and it just,
0: it, I've been doing these for a decade now. I started in December, 2013. I know you did. And it used to be two pieces back when I was the only person on, on shift between Christmas and New Year's at Game Informer. And it was part of a, how do I, what, what kind of content should I write to, to fill this, to fill this relatively dead period? And this was one of the things that I came up with. And, you know, Amanda and I started doing them together in 2018. 2018, yeah. And usually it's something we look forward to. 2023 was so hard that it was a real challenge. And
1: 2024 is going to be difficult as well. It is. As... There was a
0: piece on games industry yesterday about...
1: It was extremely intelligent. It was... I I mean, it's games industry. Like, you, we expect no less from our good friends and our colleagues over there. It's just... It's, you know, we talked at, Mike and I talked about this. What was this like this morning? I want to say, no, it was last night. Last night when we we were sitting outside, we were sitting on the porch outside in the, in the cold, which is my default state as a Canadian in the wintertime. I just like being outside in the cold. Um, we were saying that, man, we, when I said in 2022, in July of 22 in Toronto, about get your deals in before the end of 2022 because things are going to get ugly in 23 i was hoping that i was that that i was just being alarmist
0: we were both i mean that was what i said like i had yeah. hoped, i was sitting in the audience when manda was on stage at pocket gamer uh pocket gamer connect i guess is what it's called yeah um and i'm like Wow, she said it like she. Amanda and I have been talking about that, and she actually just full on said it on stage. And I'm like, you know what? There's no harm in saying this because either we're right, which is bad, but we we're but she was right, or it doesn't turn out that bad. And boy, that would have been the great situation. We thought it was going to be worse. It wasn't as bad as we thought. Whew! Thank goodness. But no, uh, Amanda was absolutely right, and and part of this was spurred on by a tweet from Rami Ismail. Uh, I know we're we're taking a long time before we even get to like the first story.
1: It's okay. They, you know, season what? premiere, miss, guys. Y'all missed us. You missed us. It's okay. We missed you too.
0: We did. Um, and he said, "No indie games are getting funded." Now, I think that is probably a little bit of hyperbole, but only the slightest bit, because we do know, and this is something that we saw in 2023, and this is something that we saw before we left our previous employer. Um, we saw the belts tightening, and part of it was driven by consolidation. Because you have publishers. Remember, EA used to do a lot of third-party publishing. Ubisoft Indeed. used to do third-party publishing. 2K, outside of private division, used to do third-party publishing. Activision. I think the only game I can remember from Activision in the last almost decade being outside of the their own studios was Sekiro. Because it was from software. Yeah. So all of your biggest publishers, I mean, THQ at the time had been doing a, a bunch of...
1: Well, I mean, Uh, but THQ was also like the shotgun approach of publishing, right? Well,
0: so THQ, I mean, just the history there is THQ, when the licensed game market for young players was strong, THQ did really well. The thing that killed THQ was the UDRAW tablet. It was just the worst, worst bet.
1: It was a very bad bet. Um, It was like, it it was some Mad Cat's level of... Of of not making the right hardware choices. Yeah,
0: it was. I th- I think people were enamored with tablets at the time. I mean, if you think about where we were at the time. No,
1: and I remember that. And and tablets were huge, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, looking back to look look ahead, we always have this. We've got this boom and bust in technology trends. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we move. That's how we move technology forward. That's how we move consumers into more comfortable spaces. Like, tablets don't have that same like oh my goodness this is so this is so new and so fresh and so interesting you know we have other things that are doing that other things that quite frankly are more way more unfortunate well
0: and the problem with a with a peripheral like udraw is it's not an omni device like no. an ipad which can do most of the things if not all the things at, at that time that a udraw tablet could do and do your email and allow right. you to surf the net and- but it was
1: and it and and it wasn't as good as like uh a Wacom tablet or, right. or something like that. But anyway, so we, we, we digress. Yes. The, the point is, is that in 2022, I, I was hoping I was wrong. I was hoping I was wrong. And I was hoping that maybe I was maybe misreading the signs that mm. maybe my analysis was off. And it is a truly frightening prospect to be at January 23rd, and already lost thousands
0: of jobs. A third of what we lost last year already. In one month.
1: In one month, and we still have a week left.
0: Yeah, I I think the the thing that I want to say, and this kind of circles us back to Riot, and we'll talk about that more in depth when we get to the Labor Report, is that this is also a blow to third-party publishing, because Riot Forge was working with really fantastic indies, to take their strong IP, marry them with different genres, different play styles, and different it, audience, and it, it worked. It
1: worked. It worked so well. Let me be. Let me be super real with you. And if you saw me saying this to Nathan Grayson on Twitter yesterday, then you know I don't. I don't need to repeat myself. But if you didn't see it, which is okay, because yeah, I'm back on Twitter. Huh? Hate that for me.
0: Yeah, you gotta find. You gotta find opportunities.
1: Yeah, we're networking again, people. We're networking again. So when, so yesterday I said to Nathan. Um, I did not give a shit about League of Legends lore at all until Riot Forge, until Arcane.
0: Yeah.
1: And... It was in that order, actually. Mm-hmm. It was like, we started working with Riot Forge.
0: Because you did, I think together, we touched five of the six Riot Forge We games. did. not do the first one. They came to us after the first one.
1: It was the the Ruined King was the first one, right? Yes. Yeah, we didn't, we, we, we missed out on that one, which is unfortunate, but...
0: Because I love Airship Syndicate.
1: Well, I mean, what's not to love, yeah. quite frankly. But like all of these incredible developers that made these amazing games... There was not a stinker in the bunch. There was not a stinker in the bunch. It, the
0: whole These comments is, do not reflect any potentially unreleased games because we can't don't. talk about them.
1: They don't. That's not
0: to say. That's not to say. That's no call. It's just, just, we're not just speaking about. This is just about the games that have been released. Yes. That I'm, is all we're I'm talking about right now.
1: I'm specifically talking about the games that have been released. I'm not talking about anything else. Like, let's yeah. be real here. Y'all know that we're professionals. That's not what's happening here. But it, the whole thing has been so heartbreaking because this was an entry point for me into this world because I have no interest in playing League of Legends. Like, let's be real. I, I don't care about MOBAs. Like I, the last time I cared about a MOBA was Heroes of the Storm and that's not a real MOBA. It's a battle arena. Yeah. You know, and I loved that as well. It's a hero brawler. Our hero brawler. brawler. That's what it was. Oh God, that was so long ago that we played that. Yeah. What a blast from the past. But anyway, all of this to say, it's been a really ugly year so far. We're barely into the year and it feels like it's already been 10 months. So if you are feeling these effects, remember that you're not alone. Remember that we are all in this together. And whatever happens going forward, we will We will prevail. As an industry, we will prevail. It is It is going to be hard and things are going to look very different at the end of all of it. But we will prevail because every last one of us
0: loves games. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, so let's get into the meat. Uh, we're kicking off with the report report on U.S. video game spending for December and full year 2023. Our recording schedule has been so sporadic lately that every episode has been around Circana.
1: I'm not mad about it. I like talking um, about Serkana for the And, I, and I
0: love Matt. And hopefully we're finally going to get to meet Matt in person at GBC. Yay. Uh All right. So for December, total sales were up 4% year over year to $7.906 billion. But for the full year, sales were up just 1%. Missing the original forecast, I think Serkana was looking at about a 3% growth uh, for the full year when we kicked off 2023. So things were, again, worse than everybody expected. Yeah. Uh, so total U.S. video game spending for 2023 was $57.19 billion. Dang.
1: Yeah. Dang. On the hardware side, um, hardware spend climbed 4% in December to $1.598 billion, putting the full year practically even with 2022 um, at 6.5 eight seven billion dollars playstation 5 growth helped offset drops for the xbox series and the switch ps5 topped hardware in the u.s last year for both units and dollar sales the switch was second in both categories
0: i want to take a minute here because i do want
1: to switch ate everybody's lunch
0: yeah and i think it will again and we'll t- And you actually uh grab this section for
1: our trends piece. Yeah, our it's our piece. it's our final our final little bit in the trends piece. It's about
0: the switch 2 and the importance to the market this year. But I'm looking at the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox. Now, we've already had a mini refresh on the PS5, but I don't know what a pro re, what a pro iterative release looks like.
1: I don't know.
0: Like yeah, okay, bigger bigger hard drive potentially, but what power-wise like, what are you going to do that's going to keep costs reasonable in yeah. this economy that is going to enable supply to be plentiful enough that you don't run into the same situation that we were in at the beginning of the of the generation? And what does this generation look like if there is no significant mid-generation mid, uh, refresh?
1: Yeah, seriously. And I'm
0: a little worried. I feel like we've gotten into a situation where the last two generations we've had multiple mid-generation refreshes. And if we don't have something that, like that that's meaningful, we saw what happened to the Switch. The OLED really wasn't what people were, were looking for. Like, yeah, the screen is significantly better. It's larger. Great. Awesome. I love my OLED. But people were looking for something that was a bit more powerful mm-hmm. so that games like Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity, which chugs on the existing Switch hardware. Now, our, our hopes and dreams for the Switch too. Amanda, you encapsulated those, those perfectly uh, oh, in the trends piece that we'll get up this week. Uh, all right, let's talk software.
1: I'm always down to talk software. Yep. All right, so the content content spending um, climbed in the very vital December period. We talk about this every year. December is everything for software. It was up 3% year over year to $5.725 billion. Full-year content spend was up about 1% to, uh, like $48 billion mm-hmm. just, all just told, a just show. a hair shy of that. Um, Hogwarts Legacy took the top spot for the year with Call of Duty finishing second. Mm-hmm. When have you seen that?
0: Well, the last time was 2008, uh, when it wasn't a Call of Duty or Rockstar game. We look in 2025, it's going to be GTA. six.
1: Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. Uh,
0: what it's going to be this year. Anybody's guess dragon's dogma 2 i'm gonna go with dragon's dogma 2 that's
1: what we're putting out there
0: i'm just gonna put no no no, it's gonna be
1: no it's gonna be final fantasy 16 when everybody finally realizes what a brilliant game it is i am looking
0: forward to playing it and i will not say who it was but i asked someone who was in the know should i like play it now on ps5 or should i hang on because other platforms are inevitable pc it was the one i had in mind and this person said to me you should probably wait for the pc so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Well, you've already played it, and I bought you the DLC. So it's which, true. Which you well, but we're in the middle of playing Alan Wake too. Different story. Well, we'll talk about that on a different day. Um, interestingly, the game in 2008 that unseated that did not that wasn't a Call of Duty game or a Rockstar game. Tell me, Rock Band.
1: Oh shit, Rock Band was so good though. Yeah. 2008 was such a good year. Like Rock Band took the entire world by storm, mm-hmm. and you know what's really interesting? We're sitting here in 2024. 16 years and Rock later, Band
0: 4 just ended. It's the DLC. Rock Band 4
1: just ended. It's last DLC. Our children. Oh my god. Still love love rock band. Now, we don't
0: have rock band for it because by the time the kids were old enough to get into it, you couldn't get the instruments. So they are playing so on the Xbox 360.
1: Hit us up if you have those instruments because I think our kids would be really excited about it. Oh that. man, they would freak. They would freak out. All right, so let's let's talk about yeah. what happens specifically in December. And I do
0: want to talk about this and I want you to remember this is through the lens of the holidays. Yes. Because that is going to explain a lot of the shifting that we see and we do see some interesting shifting.
1: We do indeed.
0: So uh, taking the top spot for the month Call of Duty... Modern Warfare 3 hung on. It repeated from November.
1: Absolutely. Super Mario Bros. Wonder actually climbed from 5 to 2. And remember that this is only physical sales. No,
0: this is, again, the reason it climbed is because people were buying gifts for the holidays. And by the way, this is a great gift. Like, if you got this and played with your family over the holidays, you probably had a good You
1: did it. You did a smart. You did a good.
0: Madden NFL 24, again, a perennial, this is a perennial gift favorite. People love their Madden. Uh, do, climbed indeed. from number four to number three.
1: Hogwarts Legacy dropped from three to four.
0: Marvel's Spider-Man dropped from number two to number five, but it finished the year overall at number four, which strong. is great. Very strong. Very yeah. strong.
1: You know, here's the here's the sleeper hit of 2023. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. No one thought this game was going to be good. Yeah, but you and I everyone ha- keeps talking about how friggin' amazing it
0: yeah, is. Yeah, I've played a little bit of it. I'm I'm kind of waiting until Manda and I get through Alan Wake 2 because this one is one where I think we're going to play co-op.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So that actually debuted <clears throat> at number 6.
0: Yep, EA Sports Football Club dropped from number 6 to number 7.
1: Mortal Kombat 1 repeated at number 8.
0: And NBA 2K24 repeated at number 9.
1: Unsurprisingly... Mario Kart 8 Deluxe jumped from 21 to 10 because of those physical holidays. And again, that
0: only includes physical.
1: Only physical.
0: Yep. Uh, some other notables. Elden Ring jumped from number 41 to number 16. Again, very popular game. It was game of the year in 2022 all over the place. A smart gift. Uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom jumped from number 33 to number 17. Again, physical only because Nintendo, but also very popular franchise. Not a surprise that people were given that as a gift.
1: Definitely not. So subscriptions ended up driving engagement across a number of titles in December, including Power Wash Simulator, which is, gosh, that game is so much fun to watch. Like there are times when my brain is just not braining and I will just turn on Twitch and I will watch someone playing Power Wash Simulator and be like, you know what? I see it. I get it. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to Lego 2K Drive on PlayStation 5, as well as Goat Simulator, on Xbox Series. Again, if
0: you're given a gift, make it good. Um,
1: <laughs> wow. Did you miss us? You must have missed yeah. us, right? We're uh, unhinged as usual. Yeah.
0: Fortnite had the highest monthly unique active users on PlayStation 5 and Xbox in December. And Lethal Company topped Steam engagement. Our kids are playing it.
1: Yeah. Well, I ended up playing it too. I All I was was a backpack. I yeah. mostly just backpacked around while um, my, my two middle kids... Took me around and showed me the Lethal Company ropes. It actually, it actually is. It's a, it's got a sticky, sticky gameplay. Started
0: loop. as a Roblox game.
1: No, it did not start as a Roblox game. The developer started off as a oh, Roblox okay. developer. Thank you. So, Zekers actually was a, a horror game, like an indie horror game um, aficionado okay. and has only been making horror games, whether that was on Roblox or whether that was, um, elsewhere. So since 2012, so like Zekers has been doing this for quite some Got time. It. Um, and, and, and hit pay dirt with this because of that very sticky gameplay, uh, that core gameplay loop. So,
0: and this is the thing that I, that I wanted to point out. And the reason why I brought up the Roblox connection and thank you for having the details on that. I'm really grateful. When we talk about and I wrote about this in my first book, when we talk about overnight successes, there's really no such thing.
1: There is never any such thing about overnight successes, and it doesn't like there. Are, there's other stuff going on in the zeitgeist right now with another. We'll
0: talk about it because we'll talk about it, we'll it in milestones, but right. I am. I am. But that is January's, also. Oof,
1: but boy. that is also not an overnight success.
0: It's not, and there's a lot to unpack about it. And I swear to God, we could do a separate episode about it, but. But that's,
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that out. Maybe that's, maybe that's a thing that we write about, which, which would be fine.
0: Amanda, take us through mobile.
1: I'm actually not going to take us through mobile just yet because we missed one vital point. Oh, yeah. 36% of active PlayStation 5 players and 31% of active Xbox players booted up Fortnite in December.
0: That's so, amazing.
1: Like, that was a huge chunk of people yeah. that were getting on and playing some Fortnites. Look, I'm terrible at Fortnite, but that game is, like, shockingly fine. I
0: did go in and buy some stuff over the... 'Cause I do. I don't play it, but I always wanna like oh when I go in He likes the skins, people. Yeah. He likes so I, the skins. I do I, I I do. I bought some Star Wars skins, I bought some other skins.
1: I don't I don't buy skins. I just go in like when the kids want to play Fortnite, they're like, Mama, come play Fortnite with us, and I'm like, you know, I'm terrible at the fork knife, right?
0: I went in and did the holiday thing where they give away a gift every day. Oh my gosh.
1: This like the I got my frozen so, my
0: frozen peely. I you think, are
1: so. you are so dedicated. To cosmetics and games that you don't play, I will never understand it. Because but I one respect day I will. One day
0: I will go to like a Fortnite concert and be like, "Look at me, bitch! I'm Anakin Skywalker." Hope you didn't dress up as a kid. Oh,
1: <laughs> that's unfortunate. Okay. Every time
0: Obi Wan just runs around and jumps higher than me.
1: Yeah, it's because he's got the high ground. Yeah,
0: moving on. All right, take us through mobile.
1: I will take us through mobile. So mobile gaming spend actually climbed to 2.7 percent year over year. That's a big number, especially for mobile. after the
0: payment. Wow. Remember how depressed 2022 was.
1: That's a big number for mobile. Like, things haven't been good in mobile gaming now for, like, 18 months, I want to say. Yeah. So the top four that we have been seeing for months and months um, continue to dominate with Monopoly Go leading. I'm still playing Monopoly Go. I have spent zero dollars. That's impressive. I have been playing Monopoly Go now for, like, two months. And I am really... It's like... I don't know, the way it kind of like scratches at the back of my brain, it's just, I don't know, it just works. It just works. And I haven't spent a dime. Uh, so Monopoly Go is leading that, understandably, followed by Candy Crush, Roblox, and Royal Match. Clash of Clans ended up jumping nine spots. Wow. Nine spots. So here are December's top 10. So starting off, Monopoly Go, Royal Match, Roblox, Candy Crush, Clash of Clans, Coin Master, Ebony. <clears throat>
0: My liege,
1: there we go. I was waiting for it. Pokemon Go, Call of Duty Mobile, which had a whopping 32% revenue jump consecutively, so so that's quarter over quarter, Uh, or like month over month. Yeah, okay, sorry, my bad. Um, and Jackpot Party Casino slots, sure. For the year, Monopoly Go was the clear winner, followed by Candy Crush, Roblox, and Royal Match. I'm telling y'all. If you are curious about Monopoly Go, it is not onerous to play. You can, like, jump in for, like, a couple of minutes and go, like, do a loop around the board. And it is... I don't know. It's shocking. Like, it's... That gameplay loop, it just works, man. It just works.
0: Did you play... Oh, man. I feel like this would scratch your itch right now. The Monopoly-style game... There was a Monopoly-style card game. That was on like DS and 3DS, and I think there was a Switch version. No,
1: no, I didn't, like, the only reason why I started playing this is because it was topping the mobile charts, and I wanted to understand why. Now I understand why, from an analytics perspective, and from, like, kind of, like, a gameplay perspective, the way that they handle their in-game economy is really intelligent, because they kind of, like, throw all this shit at you Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's super annoying, and there's, like, so many pop-ups and everything like that, but... For whatever reason, once you're in the game, it all just kind of like falls away and you're just kind of focused on, you know, multiplying your dice rolls and building up your landmarks and stuff
0: like that. Uh, the game is called Cold Sept. Cold Sept? C-U-L-D-C-E-P-T. It was originally a PS2 game. The most recent release was, and I've sh- I know I've shown you this game.
1: You probably have.
0: Um, it was on Sega Saturn, PlayStation Dreamcast, PS2, DS, 3DS, PSP, 60. PS3, so it's similar to Monopoly, uh, and the way it works is you go around the board and you have a you have a deck of cards and you mm-hmm. put monsters down. Oh, and so instead cool. of like buying hotels and stuff,
1: so that's not even like Monopoly Go. It is like Civ Rev. What? No, in the sense that it takes the core gameplay, the core gameplay functionality of like how Civ Rev did, which mm-hmm. is like made Civ way more accessible. That's Uh what Monopoly Go does. Wow. You don't have to sit around buying hotels or anything like that. You upgrade landmarks and you earn houses and they eventually turn into hotels for your board. And once you get like hotels on a matched set of properties, then they're wiped off the board. You get a reward and you start over again. So it's like Tetris. So sort of, I guess. Like I'll have to show it to you. It yeah. is just it's fa- I'll have to download
0: it and check it, it out honestly, because it is like
1: It's a fascinating value proposition. It's fascinating. So right. anyway, that's So anyway, that's that uh way.
0: if you were interested in a more fantasy card game take on Monopoly I probably
1: am not because I don't actually like I'm not Monopoly. talking to you anymore
0: man. I'm talking to our listeners. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, Cold Coldcept, C U L D C E P T, my kingdom for a for a PC release because I would play that on my Steam Deck. In you just
1: play Splay the Spire, you know that, right? No, no, like no. It's, so it's many, not, it's not, so many it's not games. a deck builder
0: like that. It's like, it's, it's not. You just, just it's, very, it's very different. Okay. Oh, very I'm different. sorry. Oh,
1: I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All right.
0: Let's wrap up the report with accessories. Uh, All right, go accessories for it. jumped 14% year over year in December to 584 million, finishing the year up 4% at $2.638 billion. You got to see you yeah. got to
1: see that that holiday spend in there, baby. Yeah,
0: and game pads and headsets and stuff. Those are those are Those are holiday
1: those gifts. Those are holiday gifts.
0: Yeah. Uh and mice and keyboards and stuff. Uh gamepad mm-hmm. sales, which increased 7% in 2023 and 21% in December drove the growth. Headset spend increased 5% in December. The premium PS5 DualSense Edge controller led 2023 in dollar sales.
1: Nice. All right, well that was that was a hefty top part of the show because we spent like the first 10 minutes kind of season premiere vamping you gotta you
0: gotta do like last time on virtual economy Dun dum
1: ew well, that's not okay either i don't like that but anyway now it is time for investment interlude where you know sometimes we talk about money money and money perfect we're actually kicking off with our first good news of virtual economy in season five and i still can't believe that it's season five yep thanks ash if you heard her in the background, she's just like, she's, she's just, she's pacing around. Uh, so Phoenix labs alums have formed a brand new studio called critical path games, former Phoenix Labs COO, Jean-Marie Owens and CEO, Jesse Houston have teamed up to form critical path games. It's currently located in Vancouver, British Columbia. It will be enforcing in office work as part of its culture. So this is this is a quote from um, the post their post on LinkedIn. Like Critical Path had its had its first post. We quote: We are a co-located team that believes in the power of in-person interactions to fu- fuel creativity, focus, and rapid development. A reminder that creativity and collaboration is also possible for remote work. I, myself, uh, worked as a remote producer at Hackjack Studios when we went through a major design pivot, and it was exceptionally creative. It doesn't matter where you're located, as long as you have a good set of leadership, yep, they absolutely. will help you get through it. Mike and I have been remote workers for how many years? How many years have you been a remote worker for?
0: More than a decade.
1: I have been working remotely since 2009.
0: Yeah. Uh, so 15 years I've been working remotely. Eleven me, I guess.
1: Yeah. So 2009 for me. And I think the only, I had some in, in office work when I was working as a career counselor for a hot minute in 2010. Was it two, no, it was 2009 when I did that. And then when I was working at mike.com, I would go in like once a week into New York and I would go see my team, but that wasn't mandated. Yeah. So
0: all right, uh, Empyrean developer Elyon and Funcom have announced a team up that will see Conan Exile, the Conan Exiles publisher stepping in to assist with funding and publishing services. God, it feels weird to be announcing, like, as part of Investment Interlude, hey guys, a game got funding, publishing funding.
1: What even is this? I don't know. What year is it?
0: Uh, so we're keeping an eye on this because the pandemic boom pattern would see this as the first step on a path to investment and then possibly acquisition. That is how brainwormy everything got over the last three years. Uh-huh. We looked at this and said, Oh, there's a partnership. I wonder if they're looking to acquire.
1: Well, or like, oh, I wonder if they're gussying themselves up for acquisition. You know, yeah. like how many times have we said that?
0: Yeah. This deal uh, will enable Empyrean to focus on development while Funcom takes on the responsibilities of promotion, distribution, and other functions you'd expect of a publisher.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it'll,
0: it's going to be interesting to see if publishers are comfortable returning to a more traditional publishing arrangement following the hard lessons that hopefully people have learned from the post quarantine industry implosion.
1: God, that's a gross set of words you just said. I hate that. That I know. felt bad.
0: I'm sorry. I didn't like writing it either.
1: You know what, what makes me feel good, though? What? Second Dinner has raised 100 million dollars, securing a relatively stable future for Marvel Snap and its developers. Yeah. Series B investment This Series B investment round was led by uh, Griffin Gaming Partners. Marvel Snap has made over 200 million dollars to date and has accrued over 22 million downloads. Second Dinner COO Matt uh, Weibel said that the funds are going to be used to, quote, develop and commercialize new titles, incubate original IP, write <laughs> better press releases, which <laughs> made me giggle, and ensure that Marvel Snap continues to grow globally. This follows, of course, on the heels of Newverse divesting, of Byte Dance moving away from video games um, for the tail end of 2023 and then into
0: 2024. So. I mean, this is a case of good money following good money. Yeah. Um, so this is a safe bet. It's not surprising to me. Like when this announced, it's like, okay, we, well, it was a course. matter of, when we, when we saw it, it's like, oh, Newverse. They're just
1: going to raise new versus
0: is divesting, bike Dance is getting out of games. Okay, fine, whatever. It was just a matter of who is going to be smart enough and who is going to you know, fun Marvel Griffin,
1: Snap. Griffin, Griffin Gaming Partners getting in on this is not a surprise. No. This is a this is a force multiplier for them because yeah. Marvel Snap continues to do great stuff. And, you know, shout out to my buddy Dave, you know, who worked on Marvel Snap. Oh, nice. Which is super cool. Mm. Um, I always love thinking about that because it makes me want to go back and like re- look at all of the, the card flavor text and stuff because I'm like, mm-hmm. I bet Dave did.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, Tencent is now the majority owner of Techland as we look at consolidation, consolidation, consolidation still happening. Um, it isn't really recent news since Tencent announced its intention to become a majority investor in Techland way back in July of last year. Uh, Techland's going to be following the same ethos as every other Tencent investment studio. They're going to be retaining their IP and their independence. And even though there was an $80 billion route back in December, thanks to the Chinese government cracking down on games, Tencent remains a solid investor for Western Studios. Especially for those that wish to maintain their creative independence, we'll
1: see we'll if see. that holds out. We are
0: very again. We come back to Riot, which is whole. Which and is I wrote this. I
1: wrote this before. Yeah. I wrote this. I think what, like yesterday afternoon, like mm-hmm. way before we got the news, because we got the news at around like dinner time.
0: Yeah, you had just yeah. You, I had just like walked literally, in the door. you had just walked in the door when the news broke.
1: Yeah. <sighs> awful okay um obelisk an outsourcing studio that has contributed to sons of the forest and fallout 76 has raised two million dollars for an original horror game called displacement oh that's very exciting Mm. the cypress-based studio received an investment from a vc group called the games fund the studio employs 20 people i love seeing indie horror games get their bag
0: yep Uh, Wrapping up investment interlude, Rocksteady founders Jamie Walker and Sefton Hill, uh, their new studio has come to light via reporting on Polygon. 100 Star Games says that that it will employ, quote, 100 industry veterans and emerging talents. Uh, Polygon found the studio's website, which quietly went live during the fall. And based on some LinkedIn sleuthing, Polygon has surmised that a number of Rocksteady developers are following them to the new studio.
1: Virtual Economy is an F-Squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-Squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back. Hey, Mike. Yes. What time is it?
0: Oh shit. Uh, hold on.
1: Wait. I know this. Okay.
0: It's time for quick hits. The
1: first quick hits of the year,
0: and it's beautiful. Thank
1: you. All right, start kicking us off rather. Hmm, that was that was a mouthful that I was trying to have, and then I got. I just can't. I can't do with the talkings. So there are some Sega leadership changes. Um, Q Entertainment founder Shuji Atsumi has been has been named CEO of Sega of America and Sega Europe. Atsumi was one of the first 3 employees of Sony Computer Entertainment America where he was VP of product acquisition. So we're talking like business development and third party relations. He also spent time at Sega in the 90s before returning in 2019. As part of this shakeup former Sega Europe president Jurgen Post has returned to the company as COO of West Studios. Post-return comes alongside the departure of President and CEO Gary Dale and Chief Studios Officer Tim Heaton.
0: UK video game retailer Game has announced it's getting out of the pre-owned market entirely. Uh, So we'll talk about this in in a bit. Uh, once I finish the details, uh, you have until February 15th to trade in your games. And at that point, game will no longer accept them and will only sell pre-owned product until supply runs out. So back at the beginning of this console generation, so back in 20, 2020, 2020,
1: that was the very first season. Remember we did no, like a and I remember it. I'm just launch. like, I'm,
0: I'm just realizing how long ago that was and I'm turning to dust. That's mm-hmm. all. Because it's season five. It's season five. Uh, So back in 2020, uh, we had a conversation, we had a number of conversations about the importance of a pre-owned market, uh, the importance of pre-owned hardware and all of that. Because, you know, when we think about the video game market, there's this tendency to think about only about people who are there early buying a new console, who are there on day one purchasing new games. Who aren't waiting for sales, who aren't looking for discounts, who don't trade their games and like, but there is a huge foundational piece of the market, and and I needed to have a gut check on this, and I had a conversation with Matt Piscatello about this, just about the importance of a pre-owned market.
1: It's really important. It's why yeah. we have sites like eBay. Yeah.
0: So I posted on LinkedIn, um, just about how how this is worrying if it becomes a trend, and if this bleeds to other parts of the world because we look at when we talk about pre-owned and we talk about a retail presence for for um, for software in general because there is the story that Walmart uh, posted. Did you see this, No. by the way? No. So uh, I saw Wario tweet this out.
1: I am not as chronically online as you. I have been in a professional development bubble.
0: Walmart is pulling physical copies of Starfield. Really? At Microsoft's behest. Whoa! So and Hellblade is not getting Hellblade two is not getting a physical release. That doesn't shock me. No, because the first one didn't. But this whole we're gonna pull product off the shelves without. That I mean, again, is... there's no context here. There could be some number of reasons. They could have over, they could have flooded the channels. It could be
1: ah sold in versus sold through.
0: Exactly. We don't have to have that conversation much not anymore today. Satan. But this could be a situation. So I don't want to. I don't want to put context around this i don't want to guess but there could be a number of things around this there is worry though that oh is microsoft getting out of physical physical game production i don't think that's the case no i
1: don't think so. i think physical
0: is still important is it as important as it used to be no of course it's not but it's still important and i think a vibrant pre-owned market and this is not to say that gamestop is good i do not like gamestop as a company
1: oh my gosh and i don't want anybody
0: to mistake my feelings about gamestop
1: okay so here's the deal though we talk about video games as a luxury entertainment, right? This is as 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 luxury just in general. Yeah. It's an expensive hobby to have. Now, it's not as it's not as expensive as being into, I don't know, Magic the Gathering and Warhammer. Um she says knowing that she's been into both of those and mm-hmm. spent a lot of money on those over 20 plus years. Oh gosh, that feels bad to say. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is that there are people that only purchase pre-owned, Yep. that that's their price point. That's what they can afford. And some people live on a cash budget and I'm not just talking about in North America. I'm talking about in Brazil. I'm talking about anywhere in South America, anywhere. Like if we, we look at game prices in Australia and in New Zealand, like the game prices are just yep. out of control, how expensive they are. Even in my home country, they are extremely expensive. And The only way, especially for me um, in my 20s, and this wasn't that long ago, like, I mean, I am maybe in my late 30s now, but in my 20s, that is the only way I was able to purchase games is I went to GameStop, or rather in Canada, it's EB Games, and I would trade in my games and I would get a new game and I would buy things that were pre-owned or like on deep discount in a bargain bin at Walmart or something. And that was the way that I had to play games back in the day. And I also lived on a cash budget, your household lived on a cash budget Mm -hmm. for a minute, we try very hard not to lean too hard into using credit because we are a big family and it's really important to us that we have a budget. So it's the solution for a pre-owned market is messy. There is not a single solution in this that makes sense eBay's fine. It's great. It serves purpose. It's not a purpose, convenient and if you get a broken, not, it's
0: not like you can just run a broken copy back to the store.
1: Exactly. Garage sales are fewer and far between, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the, that's the other thing that I used to do is I'd go to garage sales and I'd find, you know, like old treasures, Yeah. right? Now you have, in order for that to be the case, you have to go to places like MagFest. You have to go to actual conventions in order to get these pre-owned games, these treasures from you know, previous generations or or whatever. I'm not even talking about it just from a retro collection perspective or from a preservation perspective. These are the only places where you can do it now. And that's not convenient for the average player.
0: Well, it's not just a matter of convenience because you have an entry price, right? They're selling them on the show floor. They're selling them in the vendor area, which means you have to yeah, pay. Yeah, MAGFest
1: was 150 bucks per ticket. But I
0: also want to talk about what it means when you're purchasing a game at a MAGFest or a PAX, right? Sure. They are there to sell to collectors, which means you're paying the premium. When games were just available yeah. at, at GameStop or Best Buy when they did used, mm-hmm. used product, whatever. That
1: was a very short period of time, though, that it they was. did pre-owned.
0: When, you, when you're walking into a retail store that churns through a lot of pre-owned product... Yeah, GameStop's predatory in how they handle Oh it. yeah,
1: no, the the way that they handle their pre-owned stuff, it sucked. It was it always felt bad yep. to purchase from EB Games. It felt
0: worse to trade stuff in.
1: It felt way worse to trade because stuff. Because you were in.
0: buying it you were trading games in that you might have only had for a couple of months. And you had to trade in three games for a new game. Which by the way, people did, which is why Which is what Project I, Ten Dollar, which happened back at the turn of the Xbox yeah. three sixty to Xbox One and PS4 yeah, yeah. generation, you know, was such a sham. Because yeah. it was publishers who really were blowing it out of proportion.
1: Yeah, it's it was it was really the whole thing was really unfortunate. And look, we don't know what the solution is here. We really don't. But it's it's important that we surface the need for it as a measure as an entry point into this industry, into not just the industry at large, like not making games necessarily, but also for making games. Like if we're if we're exposing folks to video games at young ages where they can start to see what's possible. They can, they can build their dreams and they can see people like them in the industry. Everything comes down to DEI in my mind. You all Mm -hmm. know this, you know who I am. This is not new. I've been doing this for five seasons, like please. But there needs to be a measure of accessibility and approachability with regards to purchasing games that go beyond needing to have a debit card. That go beyond needing to have a credit card. That go beyond leasing your friggin' video games.
0: Two things I want to say, and and one of them is around that. Two things I want to say before we move on. One is that um, I think that if you don't have an accessible entry point to games, you are shooting yourself in the foot long term. Yep. Because if you don't foster gaming as an as an activity and make it accessible and allow people to stay up to it, even if it's a little bit of a laggard because you're waiting for pre-owned copies to come down in price. If you're not allowing people to have those experiences at an affordable price, how are you going to cultivate people that when they are financially stable and do have access to credit or can go and purchase games at full price, what is going to motivate them to do that if they feel separate from the industry because they weren't able to have those experiences when they were younger and more cash constrained? So that's one. Number two, Digital is not a replacement for physical. For some people, for some people it is, and people are content to have we all are, of their. D-
1: we are not those people. No, just because to be clear.
0: because of the way console sharing works and account sharing works, until there is, until there's a better solution. So, for instance, our Switch library is huge because it is the easiest way for seven Switches in our house.
1: Oh my gosh! No, is it seven? Oh, it is seven. Yeah, because the only person that does not have a Switch is D. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, all our kids have Switches now, though. Yes. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, there's there's four adults. And
0: D can always borrow one of ours.
1: And D can come steal one um, if she wants
0: it. But that's the only way to make it work. Um, but there are places where you have bandwidth caps, yeah. right? There's places where you just have slow internet. There are places where um, it's just not feasible, yeah. right? For, for downloading, it's just not as feasible a solution as it is. For us, it's not a problem. We're sitting on a terabit. Uh, or gigabit of, or two gigabits of ethernet I don't know what we I, have now
1: I, I don't know i don't it's fast. i'm not the account holder on this it's, one. i think i
0: think it's we have we have gigabit ethernet now and it's blindingly fast but that's but not that's everybody
1: not, but it's again it's not normal like that's not a normal thing we invest in that because we have four remote workers yeah it's, an, it's in a, it is one important for us yeah. house like it is so important for us and we have children that are consistently connected to the internet and play games with their friends and like if we didn't have that we would have enormous bottlenecks so it's mm-hmm. an, it's worth investing in in this family that has four well, okay currently three earners in the house yeah but you are
0: still a remote worker even if you're not in a even job,
1: right? yeah no i know i'm still i i'm doing my i'm doing my gig work but yeah. but anyway my my point is is that it's it's important to recognize that internet infrastructure is not the same everywhere That and, and that digital games are not nearly as accessible as everyone makes them out to be. And I think that we have- we This have, is the
0: longest quick hit ever. This
1: is the longest quick- No, it's not. No. No, it's not. Don't, don't, no, don't say that because people are going to go back into the archives and they're going to go back into like 2021 and find a quick hit and they're like, you guys spent 10 minutes on one quick hit like we did here.
0: Yeah. This is an important one. This
1: is an important one. Okay, so anyway, right, go we're going to move on. Next next story. Next story. We're going to talk about Nexon. So Nexon has been fined 9 million dollars by South Korea's Consumer Protection in Electronic Commerce Act for falsifying loot box drop rates. This is the oh. largest fine in their history. And here's why. Nexon apparently changed the drop rates of items in MapleStory and Bubble Fighter quote multiple times between the years of 2020 or 2010 and 2021. They didn't tell Seoul. They didn't tell Oops. any of their players. So, but this is not the first time that they've done this. This is not the first time they've done this. In 2018, it was slapped with a 939 million won fine, which at the time was about $875,000 for misleading Sudden Attack 2 players about loot box drop rates. Y'all, it's not hard to just be transparent. Like, nope. just tell your players. It's not difficult. Be transparent. Uh, this this all comes down to be cool, baby, damn. That's all yep. I got. Be cool, baby, damn.
0: All right. All right. The Supreme Court has officially declined to hear arguments in the Epic versus Apple antitrust case. This means that the Ninth District's ruling will stand with Apple just about entirely the victor, but it's going to be interesting to see how this is reconciled against the Google case, which Epic won, and will be heading into appeals. Also,
1: I I wasn't even going to say it.
0: Fixing, I was fixing even... like, When I type fast, sometimes brain no worky. <laughs> so I fixy in the show notesy when we recordy.
1: It's very funny. We will never release our show notes because some of the things we say in show notes can be a little unhinged. Yeah. But man, if anyone saw our show notes... Whew.
0: But I'm also like writing them fast most of the time.
1: I know. All right. Take us through the next story.
0: All right. Job simulator developer Alchemy Labs has announced the hiring of Sandra Marshall as chief operating owl. We're just going to read this graph from the press release because Marshall is heckin' impressive. So quote... Notable achievements include building Booz Allen Hamilton's first VR studio and developing a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention VR application what? designed to model complex airflow patterns and teach you safe use of biological safety cabinets at a global scale. Oh, what? That's amazing. She also led the initiative to develop a digital twin platform for the U.S. Air Force, integrating engineering and real-time data in XR to improve safety, resilience, and performance of critical installations.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like, I just, I didn't Why want to paraphrase like that. I... I just
0: wanted to read. It's like, oh, oh, so you've done just some stuff, Ms. Things. Marshall.
1: Yeah, just a small thing. Jeff that's funding. that's just a small I am, thing.
0: I I hope we get a chance to meet her at Dice. I hope she'll be at Dice, and hopefully, Ike introduces us.
1: Are the chief executive owl? You mean yes at at Alchemy that we've yes. known for a bloody long time. Yep. All right, guys. Do you okay? So think back for a quick sec. Twenty nineteen was a long time ago, right?
0: Oh, uh, this story.
1: Twenty nineteen was a long time ago, because in internet years, it was like twenty five years ago. But do you remember a tiny little dispute between Frogwares and Nacon?
0: Just a tiny little dispute. It's It's very small.
1: It's just a little guy, right? This whole thing
0: was, was weird.
1: This whole thing was extremely weird. So Frogwares and Nacon have finally, after five, nearly five years, they have finally settled the sinking city dispute. So here's a little recap of what happened in case you weren't around in 2019, which is totally fine. Frogwares claimed that Nacon was late with payments during the development of the game. They also alleged that Nacon demanded that the studio turn over the source code to the game, which obviously Frogwares refused to do. Mm-hmm. Frogwares also alleged that, Na- that Nacon had attempted to retroactively cancel milestones that had been approved previously once the game had come out, which meant that the studio wouldn't be able to earn any profits off the sale of the game. Obviously Nacon denied it. Frogwares brought, yeah, ab- um, Frogwares brought suit. There's always two sides of a story. Yeah, absolutely. Frogwares brought suit. Nakon threatened to counter sue. Um, and it's been in legal hell basically ever since. But it is no more. Frogwares is now officially the public- publisher of record for The Sinking City, according to a post on Steam. The new. So here's just like a little bit about the game itself. So the new version of the game will not be compatible with former game saves. So if you do have this, anything in the sinking city that you're just like, oh gosh, I'm in the middle of a playthrough, get it done because it's going to patch and you're going to lose everything. So wrap it up before February 28th of this year. There will also be new DLC coming out called Merciful Madness, which will also use the new save architecture. So players that don't want to replay the game, though, they're going to send out a, a prepared save. Just to rocket you to the DLC. That's really smart. It's huge. You know what? I love, I love to see indie developers being able to reclaim their independence. And like it, I we don't know what happened inside here. Yeah. We don't know. We don't have those details. We were not inside Frogwares. We were not inside Nakon. We don't know but we're glad that it has been settled yes. so that Nacon and Frogwares can both um, move on. And so that honestly, cause I had been waiting. Me too. <laughs> I had been waiting for this because I wanted to buy it, but I wanted to make sure that the money went where it needed I, to go. I think they
0: have a copy of it, maybe through a humble bundle or something. I don't even know. I'm, you know what?
1: I might, I might actually have it on humble as well. Um, but yes, I, I honestly, that feels good.
0: Yep. That feels really good. All right. Take us to the next thing.
1: Um, This is a weird little story. So the MetaQuest mobile app downloads are down, which is hinting that new VR customers are waning. So in case you didn't know, so in case you didn't know, the mobile app, so the the, the MetaQuest mobile app is required for setting up a new headset. So that while this isn't a one-to-one indication of sales, it's pretty damning. And I'm going to tell you why. So downloads of this app declined by 25% percent in 2023 and this is despite a strong q4 mm-hmm. according to game developer this also marked the second consecutive drop in christmas day downloads which fell to just over 400 000, which is 18 percent lower than mm. in 2022 and remember let's let's think about this what came out this year mike uh meta 3 that is correct and that is where i will leave it You want to know more about what I feel about the VR market, I wrote about it in our Trends piece. It'll
0: be up soon. All right. uh, Closing out quick hits with Milestones. Dave the Diver, which is not an indie game. Not an indie game. Not that it's a bad game. It's apparently a very good game, but it's not an indie game. Not an indie game. Uh, Has sold 3 million units. And why is it not an indie game? Because the studio that made it is fully owned by Nexon?
1: I think Nexon owns it, Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Monster Hunter World has hit... 23 million units sold with a resurgence following the Monster Hunter Wilds announcement. Monster Hunter Worlds was my first entry into Monster Hunter. I did I did try to play one of the DS games. I borrowed it from from you, I think. I borrowed it from you when we first got together back in generations, like... Generations,
0: probably. I think it
1: was Generations, yeah. When we first got together back in like 2016, and I was like, this game is not for me. I think I'm too stupid. World, and then I yeah. started playing World, and I'm like... oh.
0: <gasps> They made it way like the quality of life it improvements. Was so exciting. When when we got to World and then Rise. I really like Rise. I love the, the wire bugs.
1: I, I don't love it as much because for me what what the draw for World was is that it was so exciting that my insect glaive Allowed me to be above the action and launch I mean, me up in the air. It still does. Yeah, but now you can also. be Oh, up in the air.
0: I see. You just don't want to share. It's no, like console I, war bullshit.
1: What, wait a second. Yeah. Gear right. down there, big rig. I'm just saying. I did, excuse you.
0: Uh, anyway. Uh, Steam concurrent users hit a new record uh, a couple weeks ago. Thirty-three point six million users. They hit in-
1: records every year. Every at year. Christmas. Yeah. Well,
0: this was after. This was early January.
1: I think. Was it yeah really? Dang. Those lethal company numbers, yeah, though. Yeah, exactly. Eh? All right, Street Fighter Six has sold 3 million units in the first six months. You know what? I may not be a huge Street Fighter fan, but I love that community. Street
0: Fighter Six, like, is really interesting. They did some very, I, very bold things with it. I love also, that Also, Tekken community. 8 comes out soon. Oh, that
1: I can't talk about. Because, I, you know, I want to play that, and well, I don't have
0: time for it right well, now. Well, that's a shame, because we know somebody at Band Namco. So...
1: My point though is the Street Fighter Six community is so cool and they're so nice. Yeah. And like one of my former coworkers at Hack Jack actually plays in Street Fighter Six tournaments mm-hmm. and her mom actually plays Street Fighter Six, awesome. which is incredible. I remember she used to come into work and she would talk about it and it was just, oh my gosh, I want to meet her mom so bad. <laughs>
0: Uh, Mario and Rabbit Sparks of Hope has sold 3 million units. Love to see that.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Those games, those games are really interesting. I, I started playing, I think it was the first one. Yeah, I started playing the first one and it was, it's like pretty good. Yeah, it is. It's,
0: it's cute. There are some quality of life things in terms of how it handles upgrades and I, I, reminding me of... Uh, final, like there's something about like final fantasy one where I remember in the guide it was like, do buy these spells, do not buy these spells. They're a waste of your money. <laughs> like, That's funny.
1: uh, you know what though? Let's talk about lethal company. Let's talk a little bit about lethal let's, company. Let's talk about lethal company. I already told you guys about the sticky gameplay loop, right? Well, here's the deal. Lethal company has sold around 10 million units, making it the latest weird early access game to catch fire. And you know what? It's totally worth it because that game is legit. It is legit, it is cosmic horror, and it is bizarre, and it is, like, it is just a shockingly good time. Mm-hmm. It is a shockingly good time.
0: Uh, and we're wrapping up Quick Hits and Milestones with Pal World, uh, a.k.a. Pokemon with Guns. Um it sold more than 5 million units in its first 4 days. Of course it is embroiled in controversy. I do not want to spend too much time on this episode and the reason why is I think there's going to be more stuff that comes out. Yeah. Just know that this game has has taken the world by storm. Um it seems to have an enormous player base in Asia. Uh it's also in it's in gameplay preview on Xbox and PC Game Pass. It is indeed. Um One of the things that stood out is the version on Xbox and PC Game Pass is inferior to the Steam version. Unfortunately. Which I think creates a huge host of problems when it comes to this changing Game Pass landscape. Is it
1: cross-play? Not yet. Okay. So, I mean, like, that's not devastating. If it was crossplay, like, that would be. Right. Even worse. But the
0: versioning is. No, no, no. Off. I get you. Like, I
1: understand where you're coming but from. But
0: also, you get a Game Pass deal and you're going to show. Again, it's in gameplay preview on PC and Xbox. Game Pass, it's on early access and yeah. Steam. All right. Um, this studio, there's a lot of controversy around this game and a lot of controversy around the studio. Yep. We are waiting to see. You know, there are some there are allegations that assets were stolen, that meshes were actually ripped straight from Pokemon Scarlet and, and Violet. Um, there, uh, the CEO has a history of being involved in a crypto business. That's less interesting to me until and unless it intersects with this game. They have games that have... Their games, if you look at their portfolio, are they, they take a very clone-heavy approach.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: cloning's not illegal. It, it's not... It doesn't violate I don't... Copyright. Is it, is it creatively bereft? It. That is a conversation for another day.
1: That is a conversation <sighs> that honestly is an extre- It's an extremely fraught conversation because it pits creative against capitalism in a commercial in a in an industry that is, is that is commercial yeah. art.
0: I am not prepared to weigh in too deeply on these issues yet. I mm-hmm. am in a wait and see mode. I played it for about an hour. I personally was not impressed.
1: And that's okay. Maybe it's just not for, maybe it's just not for
0: us. Yeah. I and there's hard, nothing wrong with that. No, it, there is nothing wrong with that. I am for th- this is, this is me. Like I, there are some souls games. Like I loved Bloodborne. I really loved uh, Jedi fallen order, but I have a hard time. And I, and I enjoyed the time that I spent with Elden Ring. I have a hard time with those games, but I can see what makes those, what makes the better entries good. And I can see why people love them. Right. right? Um, I play some of these games that are. I like. I look at this game and I'm like, all right. I know I played a little bit of Ark, I watched a bunch of Rust when that came out because that was just from a social perspective, a, so, a sociology perspective, very interesting. Sure. And I see what people like from 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 crafting and and, and survival games, right? Mm-hmm. I am having a hard time seeing what in this game makes it super interesting beyond. The very the novelty the novelty of there are Pokemon style creatures that look very similar to very identifiable Pokemon. It's not like oh Digimon, I get it. It's like in the same oh. universe, I but love, it's or in like the same Digimon. like the same realm of like Pokemon of Pocket but, Monsters, Of Pocket Monsters, but they look very different.
1: Yeah, Digimon look completely di- like. This is this is so funny. Hit me up in real life if you ever 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 want to have a conversation about Pokemon versus Digimon because I have very strong opinions. They're not controversial, but they are funny.
0: <laughs> so I look at this and I'm like, all right, what is this game doing that other games don't? And I'm and I'm seeing is it just because there are people who grew up on Pokemon who want something more mature from that?
1: They play Arceus.
0: Yeah. And again, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, but I do but want to know But Honestly, note, like,
1: if you haven't played Arceus, play play Arceus. Yeah. It really is a wonderful game.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah.
1: Anyway, anyway so that's so where that's we're going to leave it.
0: I have a funny feeling we're going to be talking about Power World a whole bunch. If you are interested in some slightly deeper thoughts, I posted on LinkedIn about it and about the discourse that has spun off it uh, and reasons why I think we need to keep an eye on things.
1: Absolutely. But in the meantime,
0: and those were quick hits. They were both good today. Thank you. It's the coffee. I put a little bit of cocoa powder in it. Did you really? Yeah, I put a little bit of uh, hot chocolate powder in it.
1: Is that why it <gasps> tastes different this morning? Oh, yeah. I couldn't place it. I oh. just thought that it was like particularly excellent. Well, I mean, it is
0: particularly excellent. I mean, it was excellent. just a little bit. Just a little, little hint. Just a little guy? Yep. All right, we have a, a meaty labor report. I'm oh, going to dive in first. We are first.
1: honestly, before we get into the labor report, if you got to bounce out for this, it's okay. Yeah, this is this is going to be hard. There is some stuff in here that we think is is interesting at the top of the sh- at the top of the labor report. Yeah, but
0: the first then, two stories are not layoff related, and then we get into, and then we get into rapid fire so layoffs because this year has already been devastating.
1: We get into so many layoffs. So stick with us for the first two stories. If you got a dip after after that. We're not offended. It is okay. Take care of your take care of your piece. We get it. It's been hard enough for mm-hmm. us to even report on it.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, kicking off with SAG-AFTRA. Uh, yeah. SAG-AFTRA announced uh, on January 9th that it had signed an agreement with an AI voice company called Replica, uh, saying that the deal was, quote, approved by affected members of the union's voiceover performer community. As you might expect... The fact that Replica is an AI voice company, there are some extremely prolific voice actors that spoke up. Uh, Steve Bloom being one of them. You might know him from uh, Wolverine. Yep. Uh, he, he has been cartoon Wolverine since uh, the X-Men animated series days.
1: Since the 90s, you mean?
0: Since the 90s. Uh, Veronica Taylor, uh, who was Ash from the Pokemon cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Baldwin, who played oh. Uncle Iroh after the passing of Mako. Uh, and a number of other voice actors
1: man every time that i think about mako passing away it just it's a new heartbreak it really is god i love i i love if you if you've never seen avatar the last airbender folks there is never a better time to get into that than than now yeah cuz my god those those oh my gosh that
0: series yes um, others, like Tara Strong, have shared that with voices already being stolen, solutions that protect performers must be explored. And
1: you know what? That That is a fair assertion. And it's something that we've been seeing echoed privately as well, where it's like, this is already happening. What do we do to protect them?
0: Mm-hmm. So. so there is significant concern that if you can get any popular voice actor anytime you want, like Troy Baker or Nolan North or Tara Strong or Jennifer Hale or, oh, yeah. you know, Assuming because because this replica thing, it's an opt-in process. It so I'm is not saying opt-in. that you could be able to get all these actors. I'm just saying like if they opted in, what does that mean for the many talented but less well-known actors? Will AI in fact take opportunities for most while opening up new revenue streams for a few? Now I, I I've been thinking a lot about this right because I, and I think about especially in the wake of, of Xbox's Developer Direct where they showed off Indiana Jones in the Great Circle, revealed that TriBaker's playing Indiana Jones. His Harrison Ford impression is really impressive.
1: It honestly is. And it's very different
0: than his Joel. Yes. Or, and uh, again, his Joker in Arkham Origins, which is modeled after Mark Hamill's Joker. Right. Right.
1: But no one, no one can, can do Joker the way Mark can.
0: Right. And I think about all the different roles that Troy has had Mm -hmm. along the way. Or Nolan. Nolan played the Penguin in, um, in, in one of the Arkham games. And I think about this, and like, sure, you could get their voice. but how can you get them to be a character? And I think this is where ai AI is not there yet or yeah. maybe ever because it needs to emote like emoting we... is part of the act is part of
1: acting right. and here's here's a little bit for in case you did not know this about about Mike specifically, but also about me, we are both former actors, yeah. I was a theater kid in high school. I, I didn't. I didn't stick with it into university at all. But that's not the case for Mike. Mike was a theater kid through university, or sorry, college, because I live in the United States now, through college as well. So this is something that we do have at least a sporadic amount of expertise and knowledge
0: mm-hmm. in. Um, all right. I want to just cover some of the terms of this deal. Okay. I did mention that it was opt in only rather than opt out, Perform- which is
1: so much better.
0: Yep. Performers must consent project by project. There are also data security provisions in place. Can you imagine if Replica were to get hacked after collecting all those voice samples?
1: And those got out? Oh Oh, my gosh.
0: Uh, Payments are based on the interactive media agreement rate. So $956.75 for a four-hour session, which is the same as somebody gets in person. Yeah,
1: it's standard. Uh, Minimum,
0: by the way. For AI voicing, this works out to a four-hour session per 300 lines of dialogue. So that's how they did the equation there. For atmospheric voices, session fees are required, as well as complying with additional conditions, which include minimum hiring and notice requirements. AI voicing can also be used in pre-pro. So we played a number of pre-pro games where there's text-to-speech in there. And of course, it sounds stilted and ridiculous. Um, However, studios can pay twice the session rate for two years of access to a performer's voice. So if they wanted to try out some different voices and they paid for a number of them, in pre-pro i don't I know why still, you would do that just use text-to-speech it's not that's not why you're playing the game at that point
1: i still don't understand that that's okay so that's why we have casting calls yeah. that's why we have auditions i know testing out something like that happens with table reads but with, that's
0: why i go back to the whole is this going to open up more revenue for a few and hurt, uh, hurt. i well,
1: exactly like yeah. i just or like besides again, the we normalization about, of this yeah. we talk about consolidation yeah, we talk about consolidation. This is the voice acting equivalent of it.
0: You know what? That is a great way of looking at it. I, I definitely, yeah, and I think that brings it back to a very understandable context. Um, Which I don't. I
1: really about. dislike it. It just it hurts. All right,
0: all right. Buckle up for this one. Okay. Rates for creating an AI voice from pre-existing recordings, including those of deceased performers, <gasps> requires consent and negotiated compensation that starts at one four-hour session rate or just under that one thousand dollars. Also, this is interesting because it came out that Christopher Reeves' family had nothing to do with the AI um, CGI appearance of Christopher Reeves in The Flash. I'm I again, having... this is creepy, right? Or, or Nicholas Cage, I think, um, had nothing to do with his with his cameo in The Flash either.
1: <sighs> Yikes!
0: Yeah. And it didn't look good, by the way. It was no, I very clear. I didn't watch
1: it because like I refuse. For I watched it, it. I reasons. watched it when it was
0: just me because it's like, all right, morbid curiosity time, everybody.
1: Wow. All right. I'm having a hard time grokking that last part. Yeah. I really am. I oh, I can understand why people are fired up about this and why folks like like Erica Ishii was talking about this on Twitter as well and like being fired up about it. And like granted she kind of backpedaled a little bit because she was very upset about it because she thought it was opt-out, mm-hmm. not opt-in. Yeah. Um, it was just, which is okay. You know, normalize changing your mind mm-hmm. when you have more information. But still, it's just, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. You know what else I don't like? Just generative AI in general. Um, so here's here's another that's labor-related. So Valve has clarified its stance on generative AI use in games on its storefront. So there are now two large buckets pre-generated, and live-generated. So let's talk about it. So pre-generated includes assets baked into the game and shipped. Developers will need to acknowledge in the Steam distribution agreement that the AI content is not illegal or infringing. Additionally, developers need to attest that their game marketing aligns with the content in the title.
0: Okay, I, I, man, I have thoughts about that with regard to Power World, but...
1: I just, look, you want to have a conversation about this with us? You Find us at a conference, quite frankly. We're going to be at DICE GDC Impacts. Um, for those games that use AI to procedurally generate content while the game is running, developers will need to go further and detail the guardrails against generation of illegal content. Right? This comes down to, did you train your AI model using somebody else's art? Or, and did you have
0: permission to do that?
1: And did you have permission to do that? These disclosures will be displayed on the store page. Players will also be able to report illegal content inside games that have live-generated AI content. Folks, let's be let's call a spade a spade here. Someone is going to screw this up. Uh,
0: so by live-generated AI content, there's um, a lot of talk about AI NPCs. Yeah. Um, there was the story that went around last week that I shared with you about the guy who gamed... The AI chatbot uh, that was being used by a parcel company, mm-hmm. I think in the UK, and got it to curse, got it to say horrible things about the company that uh, that it was employed by, yeah. employed, i mm. um, used by, installed by. I don't know what the
1: this. Oh, that that kind of that kind of language is so so cyberpunk dystopic that it, yeah. it's rotting my brain from the inside. So, uh, can
0: you imagine going into a game and dealing with a live gen AI NPC and the NPC starts spouting um, you know start spouting racism.
1: When first, gross second Dude, I'm, I just wanted to
0: buy a potion. <sighs> I don't need Ma'am, to hear about your politics. Ma'am Turn off newsmax. Ma'am
1: This is a Wendy's. Yeah. This is, an, this is a digital Wendy's. Like, that's, that's pretty much the equivalent of that. But my, my thinking on this is we talk about live generated NPCs. Why in the bloody hell would you do something like that when hand crafting, even though it's more expensive, mm-hmm. will net you something that is coherent, that's cohesive, that's well written, well designed. And I just, folks, we are about to head into, and this is, I'm, I'm really hoping I'm, again, I'm being alarmist here. I hope I'm being alarmist. This is 2022 all over again. I hope I'm being alarmist. We're going to see games that are going to take a nosedive in in quality as a result of generative AI. And people like large companies or developers that are looking to cut corners because they just want to get a game out so they can make money or whatever. It's
0: the new asset flip.
1: It's the new asset flip. Absolutely. We are going to see an incredible dip in quality. Have you enjoyed the games that we have been seeing over the last five years? Of course.
0: And especially last year was such an amazing year of video game releases in stark contrast to being an absolutely miserable year for the people. For game developers.
1: Absolutely. But I mean, that's going to go away Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. First of all, labor, right? So many people are going to be out of work. Maybe we'll see a a different kind of indie renaissance moving forward. Maybe we'll move into more uh, individual patronizing. That would be lovely. But at the same time, we don't know, we don't know. And and it's just, I think about generative AI on top of all of these labor issues and it frightens me.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, all right, this is the point where we're gonna start talking about a lot of layoffs. So if so, you need to bounce, thank you for being here for our season premiere. We will see you again soon. For everybody else, we're about to dive into it. Um, I just added one more thing to the Embracer list that I forgot to throw on the list. Ugh. Uh, embracer continues to deliver bad news around the world. Three of their studio, four, five of their studio, who the hell knows how many at this point, have laid off people in the first few weeks of the year. 3D Realms and Slipgate both seem to have suffered more layoffs. Gearbox owned Lost Boys Interactive, which worked on the acclaimed Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, has suffered significant casualties. Reportedly, 170 of the studio's 400 or so people were laid off. Gearbox acquired Lost Boys in 2022 and approximately doubled the staff. How how many times have we heard this story? Buy, grow, and now we're laying off because we don't know what to do with it we couldn't support it.
1: We couldn't support it because we were looking at the near term instead of the long term. You know who doesn't do this? Certain Affinity. Yep. I I will keep banging that goddamn drum. I really I really really will. I will keep banging that drum until the end of time because it is important to recognize when studios do it right where they're not staffing up overly much. And you know who else does it really well? Um shoot. The folks behind uh, Rumbleverse.
0: Oh, um, uh, Iron, Iron Galaxy. Galaxy. They also do it right. Well, and, and Supergiant's another giants And
1: one. Supergiant. Like, you can sustainably grow your studio over time without it becoming bloated. Yep. And without sacrificing people on the altar of capitalism
0: yep uh and also i think this week was confirmed piranha which is the developer of elix and a number of other games uh is in risk of closure that sucks and
1: you know what i didn't i didn't love elix i really didn't but i don't i don't want to that studio's been around there's
0: also the risen series right? yeah
1: they've been around for decades
0: yeah
1: decades and decades yeah Uh, all right what else is going on here
0: Uh, Unity has announced massive layoffs amounting to approximately 1,800 people or 25% of the company's workforce. And this comes after Unity desperately tried to institute a runtime fee that would have put any developer using the engine at risk. We knew this was coming, but the cuts are painful. It's awful. Absolutely awful.
1: 1,800 people. Uh, Discord has also announced layoffs of approximately 17% of its workforce. So this will be 170 people across various departments that have been affected by these cuts. According to CEO Jason Citron, the company, quote, isn't in dire straits financially, but they too suffered from executive myopia in that they, they grew too fast and had no plan to account for when debt became expensive, when the interest rates rose. Regardless of what Citron says about, quote, getting sharp about the company's focus, workers are once again suffering for decisions that none of them made. This follows a 4% workforce layoff back in August. At the very least, they're somewhat doing right by their employees, their former employees now, with regards to severance. They will get five months of salary, plus an additional week for every full year at Discord, five months of benefits continuation, three months of outplacement services, equity vesting of awards scheduled to vest on February 1st, and they will continue to have access to their health, their modern health, um, I guess that must be like the application, uh, through the mm-hmm. end of 2024.
0: Yeah. All right, this one we're going to handle straight factually. Uh, Thunderful has announced that it is laying off 20% of its workforce, which is about 100 people. It's not clear if that number includes contractors or just employees, so the number could be bigger than that. Uh, You know, We are both former Thunderful employees, so again, sticking just to the facts. Uh, In its announcement about the restructuring Thunderful pinned the need to lay off staff, quote, primarily on overinvestments made in the last few years. These investments have proven unsustainable given the current industry climate. Uh, In a webcast, Uh, new CEO Martin Walfitz reiterated that the company is going to refocus on Sweden and established IP like the SteamWorld series, a tale that we have heard over and over again. And uh, just personally, our hearts are with our former teammates that are going through this right now. Uh, As with all layoffs, we want to remind everyone that labor is rarely to blame when companies lay people off. And it seems clear from Walfitz's comments that this is especially the case here. Uh, And that's it. That's it.
1: We're not going to say anything more about it. All right, continuing, Twitch has announced sweeping layoffs, What that will impact and have impacted 500 of its employees. We were heartbroken to learn that Twitch has laid off an enormous amount of talent. And this is globally, just to be clear, this is not just in the United States. This is globally. I have friends in Australia that were affected. I have friends here in the United States that were affected. I have friends out in Europe that were affected. It, it's, it's awful the amount of, of people that lost their jobs. Um, according to the CEO or according to the letter from CEO, Dan Clancy, these layoffs are following the age old quote, we're doing this for the betterment of the company. This is what he put out in his letter last year. We paid out over $1 billion to streamers. So while the Twitch business remained strong for some time now, the organization has been sized based upon where we optimistically expected our business to be in three or more years, not where we're at today as with many other companies in the tech space, we are now sizing. We're now the right sizing thing. It just makes me want to toss people off a cliff. Uh, We are now sizing our organization based on the current scale of our business and conservative predictions about how we expect to grow in the future. People, hear me now. That is the way you should be sizing your companies to begin with. You size conservatively. The age-old adage of hire slow, fire fast really makes a lot of sense here. You grow slowly, sustainably over time, not just to take care of the health of the actual business itself, but to take care of talent. That's how you keep people. Mm -hmm. That's how you ensure that you are able to sustain yourself over a long period of time. If you, like, cuts happen from time to time. They're always shitty. They always suck. They're always the worst. And it always disproportionately impacts Women and people of color, especially, but it's of little comfort to talent mm-hmm. that is out of work when there are thousands of us out there vying for similar jobs all over the world.
0: Speaking of which, oh my gosh, let's talk about Riot. Oh gosh, um, this was last night. The company announced it was going to be laying off 530 people, about 11 percent of the company's global staff, and making some internal portfolio changes as well. Uh, Riot Forge, which released, uh, six games or is about to release its sixth game, uh, is effectively done as a publishing effort for those who don't recall. Riot Forge essentially took that rich League of Legends IP, some of those characters and did deep dives into those characters and stories in new formats, new genres with great independent developers. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the effort. I'm really sad that, that, um, that it is ending. Uh, Bandletail will be the last game released under the label. I believe it just got a release date as well. Um, Legends of Runeterra has not found financial success, but Riot is sticking with it and pivoting to focus exclusively on PvE, the Path of Champions mode. Um, The only dim silver lining here is how Riot is handling severance. A minimum of six months with potentially more depending on tenure. Cash bonuses uh, uh, equal to 100% of an employee's annual performance bonus in 2023. Uh, employed health benefits are ending with employment, but Riot is going to be paying for COBRA for the total length of severance rounded up to the nearest month. Okay. So you will have to go through the COBRA process, but Riot will essentially compensate you. We to have a for... global
1: audience. Okay,
0: so COBRA... So in the United States, because we're a third world country when it comes to healthcare, um, and all of your health insurance is, is tied to your employer unless you're paying through the nose out of pocket, what ends up happening is when you leave an employer, uh, you have continuation of benefits... Um, following your, uh, end of the, end of the, the employment relationship, uh, you have to pay effectively what your employer was paying. Uh, you have to pay the entire premium essentially. So you can continue. And we had to do this when Danielle left her job, uh, last year.
1: Yeah.
0: And we were on COBRA for a number of months and it's very expensive. Um, but what they're saying is, you'll still have to pay for COBRA, but we're going to compensate you. So essentially, it's we're going to eventually take care of your your health insurance.
1: That's really good.
0: Because um, if you're not employed, they can't keep you on the plan officially. This is why they're mm-hmm. doing this. Um, anyone with restricted stock units, RSUs, will be able to vest them. Uh, if employees have laptops and peripherals, they can keep them. If employees do not have a laptop, Riot is arranging to make them available from IT to assist with job hunting, which I think is really kind. But it's not even the, the kindest thing in this. And we'll get there. Um, they're going to offer career support for six months, employee assistance program will remain available to affected employees for three months. Anyone on a visa will have support, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a good, a happy ending here.
1: No, and um, that's, because visa that's, shit is tough. It's really hard. And that's speaking from exceptional experience yep. because I only, gosh, it was last year I, I became a permanent resident and mm-hmm. that took a long time. Yep. And we had so much visa
0: stuff we had to wade through. Absolutely. Riot is not immediately disconnecting employees from their email so they can settle and untangle any personal items. This is the, the really kind thing here. Like, this is, this is, this package is as terrible as this is. This is, this is, I, I believe, someone in our community called this the gold standard of severance packages. However, there's one little downside to this, I was which about was to say,
1: the problem with this whole thing, besides the 530 jobs lost, is that Riot announced this publicly before notifying employees what were they thinking uh,
0: I, I think they were afraid that it was going to leak then the it meantime. needed to
1: have been simultaneous
0: yeah um and then nut my feed filled with people who oh
1: LinkedIn uh, is it, is a it, it just show. gets it's a
0: bloodbath and it just continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse um so look uh, and this is not just because we have a professional relationship with riot um this is this is really difficult um every single time we hear something like this and boy, we still have a number of, I mean, they're, they're shorter. They're shorter, but, but, and, uh, we're at 3,500 about in 2024 already. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and it, there it's are people just people And people
1: are going to be leaving games.
0: Yeah. We are the brain drain to- that this industry is going to face, this is, you, you, would you know what? I want to, I want to make sure I give you credit for this. When you and I were sitting outside one night you said this is the dot-com bust for the video game era, for the video game industry. And nobody saw it coming. Um, not at this scale. Uh, and the people who are paid millions of dollars a year to see this kind of thing coming and still have their jobs while thousands upon thousands of people are out on the street, employment-wise, hopefully only employment-wise, for now, um, is just, it's, it's so heartbreaking. It is so hard to, it's to rage- cover this. It's
1: rage-inducing. It is. It is. I'm 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 angry. I'm angry. It's why I didn't sleep very well last night. Like I, I didn't sleep very well last night because I was just, I was so mad that this is the state of the industry and that we are where we are because of the decisions of people
0: who won't ever be accountable for them. Nope. Yeah. They will
1: never be accountable for them. So we're held accountable
0: for them, I guess. Yep. All right. What's next?
1: Uh, the Astro fund, which was founded in 2022 went through layoffs in late 2023 the company has now rebranded itself as an indie publisher called
0: Astralogical. Israeli mobile company Playtika announced another round of layoffs, this time affecting ten percent of its workforce or four hundred people. The company also laid off nine hundred employees in two thousand and twenty-two.
1: It's important to note that the CEO of Playtika is the highest-paid CEO in video games.
0: Barf. Yep.
1: Uh, Bosses Studios has laid off nineteen laid off nineteen people um, at the end of two thousand and twenty-three.
0: Uh, Texas-based WeMo Games has shut down, affecting the company's 35 employees. WeMo Games was the developer of Micro Machines Mini Mayhem Challenge and RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone.
1: Dead by Daylight developer Behavior Interactive has reportedly laid off 45 people at its Montreal location.
0: Mobile studio Pixelberry, which is owned by Nexon, has laid off an unknown number of people.
1: I have actually something that I want to say about Pixelberry real quick. Mm -hmm. Pixelberry had been one of the most reliable employers for games writers and narrative designers Mm -hmm. um, because it was essentially like a a visual novel um, mobile, like mobile game development studio. Like they they had really interesting stories and really interesting, like especially early early stage um, games writers and narrative designers working there. And for the most part, it was the games writers and narrative designers that were laid off <sighs> because you should, again, we want to talk about being flooded on LinkedIn. You should have seen the, the amount of people after that from Pixelberry. And it's just, it's heartbreaking because these are really, really talented people. Yeah. I mean, there are talented people in all of these spaces, but this disproportionately has been affecting, um, especially at Pixelberry, the, the writing the writing team. Uh,
0: another mobile studio, Netspeak Games, is, has announced it's going through layoffs of 25 people affected.
1: PTW, formerly known as poll to win a QI, sorry, QA localization and support studio, has announced that it is laying off 45 people. This mostly impacts QA staff members outside the U.S., a reminder that QA is essential to any and all pieces of software. Without QA, nothing would
0: go. Yeah. So as I said, we're about thirty five hundred additional jobs lost in twenty twenty four, on top of the nineteen thousand across twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. One in three game developers has been laid off.
1: Hi, I'm one of them.
0: Um, the one other thing we wanted to talk about, and this was surfaced by Karten in our uh, in our community.
1: Yeah, this was huge. So this is this is a really frustration. This is a huge frustration for. Um, for American game developers, especially. So um, it's a relatively new addition to the tax code called Section 174. This change to the tax law impacts engineering as well as R&D costs, so research and development costs that shift the expensing of these from direct allocation to a five-year amortization schedule. So here's what this means. I was about to say, Mike, walk us through what that means.
0: All right, so I'm going to break this down into very basic numbers. So if you bring in $100,000 in revenue and $50,000 in expenses, including engineering expenses, you're taxed on $50,000, right? Your profits. Yeah. Yeah. If I have $100,000 in revenue and $25,000 of that is just other expenses and $25,000 of that is engineering expenses and I've got to amortize that over five years, I picked a really, oh no, I picked a good number. Uh, $5,000 of that counts as expense for this year. So you are then taxed on thir- on $70,000 as opposed to $50,000.
1: Oh, wow. That is going to
0: really mess up indies. It is. Because when they're developing their own technology internally and it's not... It, it, yes. That's rough. So this includes any amount paid or any cost incurred in connection with the development of any software. So it does include games. In addition to the costs around base development, prototyping, etc., Section 174 will also consider planning costs related to development of computer software and development of new functionality for existing software. Oh,
1: super cool. So, so this includes producers. Um, It does. The planning costs? Absolutely. This, this comes down to production as well.
0: Maybe. I hadn't thought about that. I'm thinking more of you do a live service game and you're planning new features.
1: Right. But like... Planning costs does include labor.
0: Right. No, of course it does. I'm just, I'm curious. That's actually a really good question about whether production is counted as an engineering cost because this is specifically around engineering. Yeah.
1: I would be very curious about that because technically doing pre-pro and doing pre-pro planning or even doing live service planning and roadmaps and everything like that, that's production. Mm -hmm. Is production now part of engineering? Like that's a great, oh my gosh.
0: This could have It could have wider-reaching effects. This is kind of like the the, the Uber-driven freelance policy in California that had wide-reaching, unanticipated, and undesirable effects on people like journalists. Yep. Um, so we are going to be digging into this more. Uh, we do want to thank Cartan and our community for surfacing this and sharing his learnings as he and his team navigate this really challenging shift. Um, we have one question come in uh, as we end the labor report. We have one listener question. It was a good question from Jeremiah about... Um, so we see all these layoffs, but we don't necessarily see companies making changes. Now with Riot, we saw okay, we're going to make changes to Legends, uh, to Legends, of Ruterra, and we're going to we're going to wind down Riot Forge. We've seen Embracer closing studios, etc. We've seen a couple of other stories about oh, we're no longer doing X, Y, or Z um, because of the changing because of the economy. Mm-hmm. But we don't hear that in every story. Sometimes we just hear oh, we're cutting staff. So Jeremiah said, well, what happens in that case? Like how are you going to still support all these projects? What ends up happening is, you know, when you have projects that are out in the market and announced, um, you know, and and and, and out there, and we've seen this with the Gassiker too, is part and parcel of this in some ways. You're seeing you're seeing the the piece of the iceberg that's sticking above the water. So that's the the publicly available information. Yeah. But underneath the water what you're also seeing is projects getting chipped away at. So projects that were in prototype, that were in that were in pre-pro that just don't aren't being considered high potential high viability projects getting canceled and the reason why you're not hearing that with every single announcement of layoffs is because a lot of stuff is happening, you know, under the surface where you're never going to see it because these projects were never announced. And sometimes there'll be reports, "Oh, you know, there was a game based on this IP that was canceled." three years ago. And you look at what was happening at the time. It's like, Oh, that probably was tied to this.
1: Yeah. And that's something that we've seen for a number of years. And it's not unusual to have internal games that are in prototyping that are in pre-production that, that do end up getting canceled because, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't find the fun, weren't able to get the project itself off the ground. It wasn't a good market fit. It wasn't right for the studio's portfolio after all. Um, you know, sunk cost, whatever it is. It is what it is. This is even worse. This is even worse because this isn't just about, well, AAA is going to have to cancel a bunch of games. There are indie games that are never going to get funded that will never see the light of day. Mm -hmm. Those indie developers will likely never release a video game now because they will move on to other software jobs. They will move on to jobs in other parts of the entertainment sector, they'll exit entirely and, I don't know, become a mechanic. Like, I'm not saying that that's, no. that's something that'll be common, but we talk about brain drain, and this is, this is something that is going to have devastating, far-reaching effects for a number of years in a way that we saw after the dot-com boom and after it crashed. What came out of that was ultimately you know, innovative and positive for a minute because we got social media out of that. And social media has kind of been a mixed bag of mm-hmm. creating connectivity, but also creating very toxic public spaces. You know, there is there there is likely to be some good that will come out of this awful, awful set of circumstances that labor did not create. I just don't know what it's going to be yet. And we won't know for many years. We are not going to I mean, we're, see we're in
0: for... This is this is a seismic event that is going to reshape the industry for at least a decade.
1: Yep. And you know what? I got to say, millennials say this a lot. We're really tired of being a part of once-in-a-lifetime things that should never have happened. Yeah. We're really tired of w- witnessing history or being a part of history. Can things just be boring for a while? I, I would, I'm
0: tired of living in the cool my,
1: zone. My... <laughs> my kingdom for a boring day.
0: Yeah. And with that, we finished our first episode of season five.
1: <sighs> that was tough.
0: Yeah. That <clears> labor <throat> report. Was I'm looking forward really to good hard. news folks. I really, I cannot wait to, to record an episode with all smiles and laughs and giggles and,
1: and not <sighs> closing out every show with feeling like everything feels so dire. Yep. But, you know what, we're really we're really happy that you stuck around with us, um, and we're glad to be back. We are hoping to be on a more regular cadence now that, you know, hopefully I'm knocking on wood. I hope you hear that. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'm glad the dogs didn't bark at that. No,
1: no. Rex kind of looked at me, and he's like, Mama, what are you doing? Um, I'm just seriously knock on wood that, you know, we, we can get through our personal lives without much more drama. But thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. I'm back on Twitter for networking purposes. I will not stay there forever. I'm Amanda Farrow on on um, Twitter. I am ritual magic on blue sky. So that's W in front of Ritual Magic. Um .bsky.social.
0: Uh, Virtual Econcast on Twitter, VirtualEconomy.dot.bsky.dot.social on Blue Sky, and I am at Footerish on both F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H, and it's just .bsky.social on Blue Sky. Uh, we also post the show on LinkedIn, on the F-Square account, and our personal accounts. Yeah,
1: we absolutely. Uh, and do. you
0: can subscribe to our RSS feed at VirtualEconcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Pocket Casts, and oh, there's one more
1: ah oh, right
0: in the face uh please do subscribe and possible review the show let us know what you think
1: we always love it when folks ask us questions so dm us the most reliable way to get in touch with us is dming us on discord believe it or not so i'm ritual magic again on uh on discord
0: i am at footer f-u-t-t-e-r
1: there's no ish. He's not ishy. I'm, I'm not on, ishy on
0: Discord. not
1: ishy on Discord. You can also send them to podcast at podcast.fsquared.biz. If you want to get in touch with us about, you know, like sponsoring the show and stuff oh, too. Oh, there might be
0: some news soon, huh? There
1: might be some news there soon. Um, We actually, I don't know if anybody knows this, we do this show for free. Like we don't mm-hmm. get paid for this show. We have never really sought sponsorship before, but like if you like us, you can always reach out. Like yeah. we can have a discussion. That sounds good. Totally. Failing that, come hang out with us on Discord. You can join uh, the F Squared Haven, which used to house like all of our streaming stuff. Mike and I are in streaming retirement at the moment. I may come out because there's new Turnip Boy, mm-hmm. and it might be time to resurrect Blueberry. Prime Minister uh, Blueberry.
0: Prime Minister Blueberry. <laughs>
1: um, And with that, uh, that's it for us, folks. Remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another.
0: We'll see you soon.